Welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we talk to global leaders in hospitality and learn what's happening now and what's next for tomorrow. I'm your host, Tarek Mallet, founder and CEO at Moby, the digital partner of hospitality. In this episode, I chat with Kali Vandermeer, founder and CEO of the Design Partnership, to discuss the importance of human psychology in creating a successful restaurant design. Kali's business has grown into a global success, specializing in designing and outfitting hospitality brands to match customer behavior. Having worked with brands such as Taco Bell, Five Guys, Ribs and Burgers and more, Kali knows the secret to success. Spoiler alert, it's not the food. We discuss the factors Kali considers when designing a restaurant, the main customer behaviors that impact design, and one easy change restaurant owners can make today to improve their interiors. Kali, thanks for joining us today. I always like to start with the founding story, and I I see you studied architecture in South Africa, and now you've co-founded a successful business, the Design Partnership, primarily focusing on retail and hospitality fit-outs. Where did it all begin, and how did you get to where you are today? I've got a a short, medium, and long answer. I'll keep it as as tight as possible, but yeah, started out with architecture and really had a solid view on what the life would be as an architect. And and somehow within the first two years of leaving and starting practice, hospitality design kind of found me. I had a client that I never knew from anywhere, called up and said he had this idea for a new brand. And was I interested? I said, you know, let's talk about it. 140 stores later, you know, we, um, we were firmly entrenched in doing hospitality and retail. So and it became quite a joyful experience and quite far removed from the administrative functions of, of being an architect. So it, it was a, a very strong left turn. And I always thought I'd return to architecture, but somehow I never did. Amazing. And we were talking before the show and you were you're mentioning you're now based in Sydney, Australia. Sydney. Yeah. How, how did that transition happen from South Africa to Australia? It started out as a branch of design partnerships. So I started with a, a university friend, started the practice in South Africa in 97. And um, it grew into a, a massive business with 240 people at some point and over three offices. So it was the largest of its kind in Africa. And we started doing a lot of work abroad. And somebody that I also never met prior called me out of Australia, out of Sydney, and said that he had this idea, or he had a couple of restaurants already, and was interested. So it started with just saying, let's open a branch. Let's just open a branch in Sydney. That was six years ago. But in the development of all of that year, it took a couple of turns of its own. And in design, you have to allow these turns to be taken. Yeah, I ended up building quite a nice practice year that's also taken a couple of leaps forward from where we intended it to be. So very blessed. I think this journey has been a very blissful journey for us. You you mentioned 140 brands and you've worked on some big projects, including Taco Bell, Five Guys, Ribs and Burgers, just to name a few. Where does one begin when embarking on projects like these? I mean, I, I maybe I have a slightly longer answer for this. So I can say it doesn't start in design. And that's, the, I think, the mistake. Or let me let me say a mistake that, that most designers make. And I don't, don't want to sound like, like I know it all, but but our approach from the very beginning was, was certainly to look at people first because it's all about people. The hospitality space is only about people. And owners of these um, brands that are most sociable, some, some are get it. It's, uh, and so our approach has always been, what would the customer journey be? 
taking out the food is not about the food. People are social beings and, you know, we have a two million year old computer that we work with daily that's, that's only a couple of seconds old in terms of a world clock to what we know around us, but we still function as if we were fighting a saber tooth. And everything we do daily, a lot of the stuff is irrational, it's hyper irrational. Thank God it's predictably irrational. And so we always look at what people would do in a certain environment. And it's always the same. If you formulate a specific environment, what they would do, I wouldn't say always the same, but 80, 90%, how they react is always the same. So we always unpack that journey in terms of the very first point of interaction, the entire journey throughout and to the very last time or moment when they leave. And I, and I guess that that brings a big point of difference in why we get the kind of customers that we do get. And you, you touch on that you start with the social element rather than the design element. And when you have hospitality clients come to you seeking your help, what is the problem you think they're trying to solve? Because I imagine that it's very different sometimes to focusing on the social element. And there's probably common themes that come up time and time again. Every restaurateur starts like a, a chef or a or somebody that's just fond of food, they start out with this emotive driver that sits in the, their gut and they it's something that they really love and enjoy and uh, and know that they're pushing themselves in that space beyond what is reasonable is, is okay because it brings in that kind of joy and reward. And at some point, though, in the nature of our structure as human beings, we need to improve on the prior year and the year before that. And so this graph keeps on ticking up and up and up. And so at some point, you become a zeros and ones guy. It's no longer that emotion. And by the time I think those people come to us, it's always really a pressure on the bottom line, increasing numbers. And those are always the wrong questions to ask. How do we improve kind of numbers? And they, they are inevitable if you kind of bring back the, the emotion, the thing that... that because we go to when we go to a, a social space, we are, as I said prior, not it's not the food. It's it's all those invisible things you get in between. It's the social aspect. It's how the place makes us feel. And some of those things are tactile when the purveyors are emotively invested in it, and they become quite clinical the further they pull away from that. So we're trying to get back to basics and ask the questions about the user journey, who the customer is, and, and what who the, why they come at the moment why they go to their competitor because you're not creating a new set of people from nothing they're currently going somewhere everybody's going somewhere it's in your dna you're going somewhere if you're social you go out it's somewhere that you're currently going so why are they going there and not to you and so we try and find all those little knickknacks and most of it is what we call invisible design it's not something you're going to see in a magazine or on pinterest or they 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 little nuances the light the quality of the light the acoustic quality the things that you feel, all the tactile things, the things that you smell, how you get a dress at the door, um, how you leave, and, and there's a great one there. It's 60 to 70% more important how you treat a customer in, in, a, in a space when they leave as opposed to when they arrive. People always get it the other way around. It's wrong. So we try and unpack that entire thing and then stitch a story into it. We all relate to stories. We've done it over millions of years. We tell stories around fires, and, and so we relate to stories. We understand a good story, and... So that's why the best CEOs are able to tell these magnificent stories that just bring people together. What's a story? What, what story are you trying to tell within this space? It's true for retail. 
it's true for hospitality. What's your backstory and why are the people here believing in your story? Why are they working here? And so, and how am I contributing just by being here to your space? Why is the customer? Because they all want to feel like what they have is more than just a singular interaction. If I come to your place and I spend my money at your place, what's the knock-on effect of that money? Where is it going to? Is it just going to your New York house at the coast or where is the money? You know, it's, so it's, it's, it's kind of answering all those little things. It's not, it's not just one single there's no silver bullet to this anymore. I imagine it's a, it's a fascinating process because you would have these very passionate chefs and business owners and hospitality coming to you with, I imagine what is a, a very set preconceived idea of how they want things to work and taking them on that journey and trying to, trying to get them to come to the realisation that it is often so much more and those nuances that you talk about. Yeah, no, no, it's, it takes a bit of time, but I think when you talk from the almost a scientific base, you, there's, there's enough written about that. Dana Reale wrote a beautiful book, uh, Predictably Irrational. And there's so much written around how we interact with space. And it's not so, we never bring our preferences to, to a meeting. We like or dislike X or Y or Z. It's, it's always the function of human behavior and what would people do in this specific circumstance, um, in your specific space, and what's generally to be expected. And then it, it doesn't take that long for us to understand together where we need to head to and scripting a new brief. And then you're on the path to success, always. Where do you think people get it wrong sometimes? Well, I think if the not letting go um, and everything's transient, everything, nothing is permanent, everything's always changing. And that's why also this big preoccupation with COVID and uh, the impact of COVID and and how negatively that would affect. It's just a memory. At some point, it's a distant one. It comes and it goes. These, these contractions always come and, they, and, and it, it allows always for a release. It's, it's holding on to something that was and not wanting to let go. Those are the biggest obstacles. If there's a, a personal link to something that's, that has a personal meaning to it all, that is not, if you bring your own person into it too much, the thing stumbles always. Do you have a, a list that you've sort of gathered from experience of your sort of key do's and don'ts or does it change depending on the market and the projects? So we've written a whole lot and we've spoken about this a lot uh, in and around this topic, especially social behaviour within hospitality space. And for example, there are what you call the eight seating patterns. The eight, we have almost eight in everything, you know. But for example, the eight seating patterns, I can explain it this way if people, the first place that people want to sit to always is with their back to a wall around the periphery of a restaurant. So you better take care of that and make sure that those places are comfortable. And that's why bench eating against the wall works. They will migrate internal if, in, if there's some spaces internally that are slightly cocooned. And we have a naming convention for each of these behaviors. Um, people will never sit towards the back unless they have a very serious business meeting. But, but that's why those areas are not popular. But, but if you raise them and you light them well and you put some special furniture, funny enough, people will go there first. So there's a special solution to every problem across every journey in every space. So you can make any, any negative space really work exceptionally well if you understand our biases as humans. And, you know, we can almost, we can have a, a program just on that. It's, it's a very interesting space to work in and, and solve for. And once you've done a few, you understand that although the skin of it may differ, the underlying principles are always exactly the same. 
Fascinating. And again, it's those intrinsic things that you don't think about when you walk into a restaurant um, that often resonate the most. And I can imagine how seating just at its simplest level has such a impact on people's experience. You touched on you touched on COVID before, and I'm sure across your your time in the industry, you've seen a number of, of different trends or impacts on the industry. Has COVID driven a, a change in design concepts or how people are thinking about the layouts of their restaurants? It's brought one big disruptor. There are many multiple little ones, but the biggest one, the biggest impact is probably the sense of dark kitchens, the kitchens without real identity that sit and just bring the product faster. And they can, a lot cheaper, but currently not really. And they kind of become the middleman uh, between and the delivery system that's just in between the, the restaurants and the end user. And that's a danger for all restaurants because they need to have the data. Data is everything in business today. You need to have all the data. With data, you can change your offer. You can change your delivery methods. You can change your interaction. And the fact that dark kitchens have come in the middle and third-party delivery platforms have risen so quickly within this COVID period, and they had to because people still wanted to have the experience of food in their favorite offer, but now they couldn't go there. That's driven a permanent wedge between restaurants and the end user. And that's a massive problem. You can't fight it. And like anything that's changed and that's almost here to stay, you have to lean into it. And so the restaurants that do a great job of it found ways around to kind of understand the consumer, their social behavior and social media, and they're scraping data from that. that it, they may not understand the exact person buying exactly as intimate, but by and large, they understand the big umbrella picture of the end user. And by the time the user then comes, they can correlate things. So the data they apply to those things are, are critical. And for any restaurant now that wants to operate, they really need to, really become quite tech savvy. It's no longer just opening a little trattoria on the corner. And, I, you know, and the, and, and the way that the, they think about the price points as well, because these third-party platforms take 25 to 33%. So how do they price things now? So a lot of many engineering has come along to actually make things work a lot better within that space. Yeah, that, and there's a lot of little things. I mean, the little things are the kind of spaces in between the distances. But already people have forgotten about that. People are not, they, it's, it's too short a disruption in our space as humans for that to have any lasting impact. People forget that within a week or two. People will bounce back and that elasticity is there. It's very strong into normal behavior within restaurant space very quickly. Yeah, this proliferation of dark kitchens, ghost kitchens, or creating virtual brands to maximize kitchen space and downtimes from their usual activities. How have you seen that affecting design? So you talk about the the impact of third-party delivery or aggregator orders. Are you seeing that there's more a maximization now of kitchen space over dining space to allow for more orders to go through? Has that had much of an impact? The problem with third-party platforms is that you cannot like, for example, an old trick within, we're talking a lot about restaurants, we can talk about other design as well, but within restaurants, it's a fascinating topic and maybe we stick to that, um, is they could slow down the, the traffic, the footfall, by little things like if they, you know, in a QSR, quick service restaurant, they would actually close down tills. People would think that they would open up more because the, the queues are longer. But if the kitchen is under pressure, they slow it down, they would close two of the three run on one so they can slow down the queue so that the product can come out in, in the best format possible. With these platforms now, you can't slow it down. 
you have to just deliver. Whatever comes in, you have to get out as quickly as possible. So that, yes, that we find that there's some additional equipment that's come online. But also, we just did a fascinating piece of work with a company called Seagrass, Bradley Michael and, and Chad Rame and his team in a brand called Ribs and Burgers that has now taken on a slightly new guys. We had a workshop over, sure, I think over four months, a weekly, to try and establish this new consumer and the, the delivery platforms. And it was a fascinating piece of work to do with them as opposed to often being just supplying information. So we actually, we all integrated as one team and we developed out of Ribs and Burgers a, um, a sister brand, as it were, called the Grill House. Took R&B, Ribs and Burgers, and this R&B Grill House. And within that, we accounted for all these new eventualities. So the kitchens are slightly adapted. The bars are slightly longer. So when people come in, they can actually get people to slow down a bit and just have a drink while you wait. Because while you wait, if you're consuming something, you're calmer about it. You don't, time doesn't tick the way it ticks if you're just waiting. And all you can think about is this product that needs to come out. So so that that's a nice little psychological trick there. And then the for little other things, for example, serving straight out the side and through the window to a waiting audience outside as opposed to having everybody queue up on the counter. Uh, and so very strongly leaned into this, this new way of being that you cannot fight, you have to solve for it. And we tried it in a, in a new store that's in the outskirts. We said, this goes wrong, let it go wrong silently. <laughs> But it went spectacularly right. It is a, a, a rip-roaring success for them. Um, and we're now in the process of converting uh, these other stores to have a, a similar presentation and, the, and a similar set of solutions. And it'll be slightly different in each one because the, each of the nuances, but the principles at the base will be hyper-similar. Seagrass Group is always very visionary in their adoption of technology and you know, we've got these external technology or you know, drivers such as aggregators. But then on the other hand, we also have in-store technologies. We're seeing the sort of proliferation of QR code table ordering, yes. kiosks, and mm -hmm. many of these the likes of Seagrass Group are adopting. How, how are they changing conversations around the, the in-store design and, and, and layout of restaurants? Well, it's a formidable company. It's an incredible forward-thinking company. And we have actually just gone into a, I would call it a partnership on a, a, a tech platform called Octria. Um, and so where that started, maybe just a bit of background on that, because that's a, a great story. Um, the, the chap that used to work for me many years ago, 20 years ago, Ricardo Rocha, came to visit. We, we became friends since and and kept a very tight relationship through the years. And he went off to, to he, he worked for us for a year, I think, and then went off to start his own company. And he came to visit with his wife, Janine, and we were just sitting around, around a barbecue one night and discussing the, the problems within hospitality and the fact that the consumer or the purveyors are often such incredibly em emotive people and by that string they get things right, but how do you bottle all of this? How do you bottle? How do you make the things that work multiply that? How do you get a, a CEO of a big business? You alluded to that right in the beginning with a good strategy. How do you, the further that, the bigger the business grows, the more difficult it is for that strategy to sit across all the people, all the sites, 
Um, and the more, the, more, the more difficult it is for the culture to stretch, the further the people are away from the CEO, which is really more, you, you know, CEOs are there to bind people more than vision often. or they, They're there to really people, keep people together and to keep them united and driven. So they came up with this idea to why can we not have an AI-driven business guidance system? And so when they tabled that, I immediately put my hand up and said, <laughs> I, I understand that and I, I can see what the, And anyway, we set up, I'm a co-founder uh, with them, set out to build this. We've just actually launched it within Seagrass and they, they the first customer and, um, and also the first seed investor. And it's working beautifully. It's just an incredible method in, in which to have every single KPI of every single person every single day measured and given feedback on the fly. You could actually go on, on this platform and every single person within the business understand the expectation every single day and respond to that expectation every single day. And it's no longer these kind of stretched out once every quarter or once every six months or once every year that we all meet and recalibrate. The recalibration happens daily. So that's been a fascinating journey. And all hats off to, to Seagrass and Bradley, Michael and his team. When we, we, this was just in his beginning phases. That, that same two weeks that they visited, I, I called Bradley and I said, you've got to come and visit. We have this idea. Conceptually, he was on board from the get-go and, and invested a year later. So um, they, they all, they all the, the way that they embrace technology is, is phenomenal and part of their success. Well, that parallels to your point earlier about the the data and how critical understanding your data is and making decisions based on that. I guess the the real magic is how you take that data and then you know transpose that into an experience and a social interaction you know for your guests. Hundred percent. I mean, you you want to know when you can, and the more you know, the better. When the guest comes, what's their preference? What did they have last time? Why do they prefer to get greeted? What are their names? Which, which is their favorite table? Um, you know, all, all kinds of nuances about them that makes them feel like they are appreciated and understood, even though it may be tech-driven. The experience for the visitor is so much better if the information that's available on them is, is there within the establishment and they can actually use it to increase the, the experience and the sense of joy and belonging. We all want to belong. Uh, we all want to feel like we are a little bit special. We know in the world is there a thing like roll out the blue carpet or the green carpet? We all want the red carpet, you know? It's just in, ingrained in us. Our, 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 we, we are hardwired like this. So, yes, 100%. Yeah, and this transition of technology, I believe we're just at the onset of it. And I'd also, I'd love to get your thoughts on sort of any potentially unexpected design trends you predict will start to be more common in restaurant decor and in designs in years to come. So the big thing, I think, because we are so extremely, at the minute, uh, anyway, um, conscious of health, we are very conscious of health and and nature has become that thing that we've had time to be aware of we've all gone out to nature we've all got even if you're just sitting within our backyard more often or just watering the plants because you actually i'm looking out in my in my courtyard now you know you're, you're aware you, there's, a, there's a far better link to nature so biophilia although it is always kind of brewing in the background and kind of sitting in the background and everybody kind of uh 
shouting from the hilltops the advantages and the health advantages of biophilia within spaces, people have now adopted that and they've demanded. So biophilia within restaurant spaces are big. It's, it's exploding everywhere. The technology to actually keep plants healthy within these spaces are there. And so there's a massive adoption of that everywhere. We can see that demand even in all the spaces we do, it's enormous. And also just being aware of sitting outside in, in Sydney and most of Australia, really, there's a there's a lot temporary and permanent closure of roads now. Saying, well, the cars can stay outside. We're going to take this piece of road. We're going to put benches and social spaces outside, make it as comfortable as possible for anybody just to drop in and sit there. And so we have a lot of government involvement in that as well. So when you get those two forces coming together, that's almost unstoppable. So. So there'll be a lot more of that nature and biophilia and outside and bigger space and um, the opportunity for social interaction than we may have had before. I, I loved your comment earlier about failing quietly. And to close, if you were to leave our listeners with one piece of advice on improving their in-store setup this year, what would it be? I think the big thing is to understand if we're talking – Again, we're talking, we kind of almost spoke about restaurants mainly, but it's not about the food. And when I say that, that's a kind of a throwaway statement. It is, all, of course, the food needs to be good, but that's the food needs to be great, in fact. But that's a passport factor. Everybody, everywhere is now doing great food. Everybody's doing great food. It's about the totality of the experience and understanding that it's about the sum total of the relationships that are only about the people. You know, there's a... Jan Carlson in the 60s or late 60s or early 70s when Scandinavian airlines were failing, he came up with this idea of the moments of truth. And each moment of truth were those tiny 15-second touch points between people, the people visiting and the people serving his airline and that connection. And he identified that and he got it to work marvelously and not only saved the airline, became the best airline in the world. And so... The, the biggest thing now is those, those, those relationships with people and those little points and starting those conversations again and putting them first and understanding how important it is for them to feel like the space is theirs, not the other way around. You're just taking care of them within their space. It's not your space, it's theirs. And I think if that conversation can happen and that can be turned around, magic to be made. Yeah, I think that's, that's really important and hopefully something that resonates with, with all our listeners this has been a, a fantastic conversation. Thank you, Kali, for your time, your insights, and for sharing the amazing journey of hospitality design with us today. We've, we've covered a lot, and there's multiple episodes that we could delve into in, in the future around a lot of the concepts you've talked about. So really appreciate the time. Thank you for your time. It passed very quickly, kind of when you're having fun. This space is so interesting. Time just flies by. So thank you for having me. For more episodes and great conversations with industry leaders, head to mobihq.com.